afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva again from Medical Education. I am in Edinburgh at the Association for Studies of Medical Education meeting. I had the opportunity to record a couple of podcasts here, and at the moment, I have the very good fortune of sitting down with one of the legends of, of medical education, if if not the legend, Professor Ron Harden. Thanks, Ron, for your time. Great to be with you. Ron likely needs very little introduction, but Professor Harden is the General Secretary of AMI. He's Professor of Medical Education at both Dundee University and Al Imam Medical School in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Most people will know him as the co-creator of the OSCE, the co-creator of AMI, the co-creator of the Ottawa Conference. I don't think there's a name that's more associated with innovation in the field of medical education than Ron's. And we at Medical Education have been blessed by an article that he wrote for us that has just been released in the August issue of the journal, which is titled Looking Back to the Future, A Message for a New Generation of Medical Educators. And those of you who've seen the issue already will know that it's one of three articles that I commissioned for this particular issue from the three first Karolinska Prize winners. And the challenge put to the three individuals was to reflect on their careers within medical education, thinking about where the field has come, where it is currently, and where it might be going in the future. And Ron, I appreciate that that's a devilishly difficult task. I was particularly intrigued by your approach to it, and that you've spent a lot of time thinking about the individuals with whom you've worked and uh, reflecting on your career and driving some lessons for the field. I wonder if you could share some of those ideas with our listeners. First of all, thanks for your generous comments. I was interested to be asked to write the article because usually I'm trying to look to the future and not over the past. <laughs> it was an interesting challenge to look past over, uh, I hate to say it, almost 40 years. But it made me think about things and it wasn't as difficult as I thought it was to come away with some possible take-home messages which I wrote up in the journal article. And the messages, I'll just elaborate a little bit, are really laid out in a way that I think will be particularly meaningful to those who are trying to get their feet under them in the field. And that seems to be a priority of yours in various activities you've engaged in. Can you reflect for us a little bit on why that's been such a priority for you over the years? Well, perhaps if I take one of the messages to illustrate it, I mean, I won't go over all 10 that are in the article, and I think it would be boring to just recap them. But perhaps if I had to pick out one, which I think highlights many of the things in my career, and it was the last one, which I said that medical education should be fun. And I think it should be exciting. We shouldn't be thinking of teaching as some sort of chore. And indeed, I've got a book that's gone off to the publisher this week, next year will be published about what makes an excellent teacher and one of the chapters is about the passionate teacher and I think that's probably the most important message. One of the other messages I had in the article was that people had influenced me a lot and again writing the article I was looking back what was it about the people I mentioned that had been so good role models for me. I think it's the same thing that they all shared a passion both for their subject and a passion for the teaching and a passion for the students. And I think that's a key thing, I think, to have. And it's been an exciting time these years. Time's passed too quickly. I still remember when we introduced self-learning and replaced the lectures for a third of the class and gave them only programme tape slide presentations. That was the media at that time to sit and work through. And the notion with the three of the lecturers watching the students, not attending the lectures, but sitting using these tape slides 
was really quite awesome and certainly the, the lecturers couldn't quite believe that the students were actually learning the subject, which they did, and they actually did better. We published this in The Lancet better than the other students, although obviously the Hawthorne effect and other problems, but at least they could learn the subject. And this was really an exciting experience for all of us. I think another exciting experience was, in fact, the OSCE, when we saw that the students in the final exam were sitting, going round these stations and seeing it all coming together. The examiners, the stations, uh, the students, and working as a real final exam based on OSCE was a, really a very exciting activity. So I think it can be exciting. That's likely the best word I could come up with to describe the field as a whole as well. And you and I have had a chance to talk about motivation and passion and these sorts of issues at the context of the students we're trying to motivate and engage and get excited about their own learning. I'm curious as to what fueled that passion for you over such a long time period. And is it something that you think people just have to come to the field with it ingrained in them? Or do you think that there are other activities that we can promote as a community to try to ensure that that continues? I think there's got to be a willingness and a desire to, to actually work in the area and to think about communicating with students and why we're doing it. And I think that I've always had the philosophy if one puts in, say, 10% or more, a little bit extra effort, it will actually give you much more job satisfaction and you're something to show as a result of this. When I was asked to run the integrated course at Glasgow, for example, just to do it as a chore, I could have done it, but it wouldn't have been the same satisfaction. Doing this extra 10% and actually generating a new educational experience as a result. So I think it's the, the willingness to go that little bit extra. And I think that one thing that worries me now with the working hour directives and time, that I suspect that there's an inverse correlation between job satisfaction and the hours people work. The more people work, the more job satisfaction they get. It's perhaps not a very attractive <laughs> philosophy, but, uh, but I, I really do believe it. Right. Well, I should probably have also mentioned that, in fact, it was your paper, your presentation here at the ASME conference a couple of years ago when you won the gold medal that really prompted the idea for this series of three articles. And one of the risks in either that context or in asking you to write a paper like this to reflect back on that career is it's inevitably going to raise some regrets or some ideas of things that you might have missed either in terms of opportunities lost career-wise or with respect to what else you might have liked to have included in a paper like this. Have you had any further reflections since the paper was signed off on? Yeah, there was one thing. Perhaps I hadn't dealt enough in the article that's written about some of the risks or the regrets I had in what I'd done. I think one example is that if one looks at the impact of the things I did, such as the OSCE or self-learning or portfolios or whatever, they were hopefully making things better, but they really have not revolutionised or made a huge difference to the system as such. They may have changed dramatically performance assessment and things, but the overall system, they haven't changed. And I was making this point, in fact, in a paper yesterday here at the ASME meeting on the continuum of medical education. And in fact, the time was ripe to move from just an evolutionary approach, which I think in many of these developments have happened, to a much more fundamental revolution where we change the whole system. We may even abolish medical schools to some extent, not a very, in many people's eyes, a practical, attractive philosophy. But I think it's the sort of thing we need to look at. And I've taken it as an example, the continuum. There have been discussions since 1932 or before about the need of a greater continuum. And we're going to track this right through to the recent follow-up to the Carnegie report by Irby and his colleagues, educating physicians, and, but it's never happened. And a report from the Thompson Committee in Australia a few years ago talked about the conservatism of the medical profession stopping this happening. 
And what I was talking about yesterday was a, a continuum ladder where you can actually move up a ladder where there is increasing continuum. And looking back at my own career and come back to your question, I could comment that I did have the opportunity perhaps to do more about it when I was in Dundee. I, I had the fortune of being both the postgraduate dean for postgraduate education and the undergraduate dean for undergraduate education. And I really went into meeting with almost wearing two hats. Hmm. I, I regret this, perhaps I should have looked back and taken more risks and tried to change the system more about this continuum. And I think there are other ways we should have been tackling this. I remember a number of years ago attending a TechLearn meeting in Florida, and Wayne Hodgins, who describes himself as a future strategist, told the interesting story of a study he'd made of ice distributors in the States. And they distributed ice to people's homes to cool the food, the drink, and so on, to restaurants. And what happened when refrigerators came in? And that obviously did away with much of the need for the ice being distributed. And one might have expected that many of these ice distributors went into the refrigeration business. And he followed everyone up in the States, apparently, and only a handful, very small number, actually went into the refrigerator business. They kept on trying to distribute ice, which no longer was necessary, and they went out of business. And his point to universities was that we shouldn't be too occupied with the actual day-to-day -day activities we're doing, in his case, in this example, delivering ice, but more importantly concerned with, with the function we have. And the function we have it was cooling food in that case. The function universities have is to let people learn for the rest of their life. Mm. And it struck me that altering the system, uh, rather than just trying to improve things we're already doing and doing them better, we should perhaps be doing different things. We should be looking at what our function is, rather than the activities focused around our physical buildings, our medical schools, our appointments, and so on. One of the other points I made in my list of take-home messages was that we should learn outside our own normal venues and the normal meetings we attend. And I think it was Royal Van Horn, an eminent educationist from the States, who said that every year we should go to a meeting outside our own specialty. And one of the things that worries me at the moment is the, presumably because of financial constraints, that many universities have actually withdrawn all funds for their staff to go to not just outside meetings, but even medical education meetings. And I think this is a very short-sighted policy. And if we really do want to improve education, if we want to make these major changes, and if we want to build our schools for the future, we need to have this vision that we can share, engage in discussion at meetings. And I think this is a, a thing that worries me a lot if this is a tendency. So I think that's the challenge ahead, is to look at not just improving our own teaching, but actually what can we do to contribute in even small ways to more fundamental changes in the education system. You're only going to have to imagine how distressing it might be for someone like me to look upon the career that you've had and still hear you worrying about not taking enough risks given all that you've accomplished and all the risks that you have taken. You finished your paper with an epitaph, so to speak, that involved risk, and it seemed such a fitting end to the paper. I wonder if I could ask you to read that to our listeners and then offer your thoughts as to why you thought it was the final message worth ending on. Well, I didn't deliver long on how to end the paper. The writing was difficult enough, but the end was even more. It struck me that it was a cadet maxim from the West Point Military Academy, and it goes like this. Risk more than others think is safe. That was the first part, and I think I've done that. Even when I took up my appointment at Dundee, people thought this was crazy, moving from a 
much more distinguished medical school, Glasgow, School, to a school which at that point had problems with the curriculum, was less well known to Dundee, was a crazy risk. I think it proved excellent, but at that time it was a big risk. The second point of the maxim was care more than other things think is wise. And I said, I think one's got to care about what one's doing and have a passion for it. Dream more than others think is practical. I think I had to imagine that it, it was going to be practical to run an OSCE in a final exam. That it was going to be practical in introducing portfolios as a final exam and introducing self-learning and abolishing lectures. If one hadn't read these, the many people that told me at the time when I thought of these, these would never work. But I dreamt they would work and they actually did work. And I think that leads to the last part of the maxim, which is expect more than others think is possible. And for many of these things I've done, people told me at the time they were not possible. And I think I've hopefully demonstrated, even in a small way, that many of these things are possible. Fantastic. And the possibilities do seem endless, I'm sure, for this new generation of educators that you're trying to speak to. And the paper, for those of you who might not remember from the beginning, is Looking Back to the Future, A Message from a New Generation of Medical Educators by Ron Hardin. And it's an incredibly educational paper, and I'm sure will have great value to that audience. And even those of us who have been around for a little bit longer and still marvel at what you've been able to do over the 40 or 50 years that you've been in the field. So on behalf of the field, thank you for all your contributions, and specifically, thank you for taking the time to chat. My pleasure. Thanks for listening.